Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. The United States has a long history of supporting refugees and asylum seekers. Until the Trump administration took office, the U.S. was the single largest country for refugee resettlement. In most years prior to 2017, about half of all refugees who resettled to a developed country came to the United States. Soon after taking office, however, the Trump administration began an unprecedented rollback of U.S. support for global refugees. By comparisons, in the last year of the Obama administration, the White House authorized the resettlement of over 100,000 refugees in the U.S. In the last year of the Trump administration, that number was not to exceed 15,000. Beyond refugee issues, the Trump administration has enacted policies in the southern U.S. border that also upended decades of U.S. policy on granting asylum to people fleeing persecution. Now, with Trump leaving office, the incoming administration has an opportunity to reset America's approach to refugees, asylum seekers, and international migration more broadly. On the line with me to discuss some of the concrete steps the incoming Biden-Harris administration may take on these issues is Nazanin Ash, Vice President for Global Policy and Advocacy at the International Rescue Committee. We kick off discussing the ways in which refugee and asylum policy have historically enjoyed bipartisan consensus here in the U.S., We then have a longer discussion about the ways in which the incoming Biden-Harris administration can reassert U.S. leadership on these issues, including through some key multilateral platforms. I'm confident you will learn a lot from this episode. I know I did, and I think Nazanin Ash was perfectly situated to discuss these issues because the International Rescue Committee, while a refugee resettlement agency here in the U.S., also, of course, has a global footprint as one of the larger international humanitarian organizations. Today's episode is produced in partnership with the Better World Campaign as part of a series examining the opportunities for strengthening multilateral engagement by the new Biden-Harris administration and the incoming 117th Congress. To learn more and access additional episodes in this series, please visit getusback.org. And now here is my conversation with Nazanin Ash. Vice President for Global Policy and Advocacy at the International Rescue Committee. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. 
Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So, you know, just to take refugee admissions as an example, you know, the program has a you know 40-year history of bipartisan consensus on humanitarian protection and admitting high levels of refugees for admission to the United States. The average across both Republican and Democratic administrations over the 40-year history of the program that preceded the Trump administration um, was 95,000 a year with some of the highest levels of refugee admissions happening under Republican presidents. Um, so we definitely see the Trump administration's reversal of, um, you know, decades of, uh, consensus, um, as the exception and not the rule. And beyond numbers of refugees resettled to the United States, another aspect of this um, approach to refugees and asylum seekers is the policy on the southern U.S. border, uh, the remain in Mexico policy, which, again, seems like something that was not contemplated by previous administrations, but was enacted by this one, again, in aberration to sort of historic U.S. policies on these issues. So the Trump administration has introduced an incredible array of harmful asylum policies that has served to vastly exacerbate the vulnerability of most vulnerable populations. You know, they've um, denied longstanding criteria under which um, vulnerable populations could seek asylum, including gang violence and including gender-based violence. You know, they have introduced policies that contradict domestic and international law in returning asylum seekers, you know, to unsafe circumstances and unsafe territory um, to await adjudication of their claims. You know, they've introduced, um, you know, a, you know, a series of policies with deterrence um, at their focus that have only served to sort of plumb the depths of inhumanity. And I'm thinking here especially about family separation policies, family detention, you know, and the prolonged and expanded use of detention um, and practices that have continued and again exacerbated vulnerabilities for most vulnerable populations, especially in a time of COVID where they have been and demonstrated a, a, a complete inability to ensure you know, the safety of um, asylum seekers in detention, you know, in the midst of a pandemic. Immigration in the U.S. has has long been a, you know, hot button political issue. Um, but refugee admissions and asylum policies, you know, unlike, say, in Europe, here in the United States, it hasn't been like a huge political issue until now. Do you think that the Trump administration has perhaps forever changed the kind of nature of what used to be a bipartisan consensus on refugee admissions? Is refugee policy in the United States now suddenly like an animating political issue? You know, I think what's most interesting about your question is that as hard as Trump has tried to make it so, to make refugees and asylum seekers um, a hot button, toxic political issue um, that presents risks for political leaders who 
um, articulate their support for those populations. As hard as he's tried to make it so, um, he's really failed. And the challenge he gave uh, to the American public was to, you know, plant their flag. And by and large, they've planted their flags with refugees and asylum seekers. And I can give you a number of examples. You know, I think um, the sea change that's really happening across our um, domestic politics is obscured by, um, you know, what happens at the federal level, where the Trump administration has incredible executive authority to implement harmful refugee and asylum policies. And so, you know, the decline um, in the, um, the decline in the, you know, what's called the presidential determination for refugee admissions annually, you know, has gotten a lot of coverage. And of course, Trump has aggressively used his bully pulpit to denigrate um, refugees. Um, but what we see reflected across state and local governments and indeed across the American public is a really different story. So, for example, in 2019, the Trump administration issued an executive order that asked state and local governments, political leaders, to affirmatively and publicly provide their consent before refugees could be resettled in their states and localities. And before a judge issued an injunction on the executive order, 43 governors, including 19 Republicans, publicly declared their support and consent for admitting refugees. That's a sea change from 2015 and 2016 when 31 governors across the United States, including Republicans and Democrats, were seeking to restrict refugee admission. You know, similarly, in 2015 and 2016, we saw hundreds of pieces of negative anti-refugee legislation promulgated at the state and local level. But last year, pro-refugee legislation outpaced negative refugee legislation by two to one. And if fascinating. you look at most, it's fascinating, right? And fascinating. If you so it's like an, pieces, it's basically a reaction against yeah, the harsh I mean. policies and rhetoric of the Trump administration. Yes. He asked the American public to plant their flag, and they planted their flag with refugees. I'll give you one last example, which is reflected in Pew polling, where we see the highest levels of support for refugees and asylum um, and asylum seekers. You know, by and large, um, by majorities, the American public believes that the U.S. should be a place of refuge for those fleeing violence and persecution. And the increase was driven by an 18 percentage point increase among Republicans. I'm, I'm glad to be speaking uh, with you from uh, the International Rescue Committee because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are the largest secular uh, refugee resettlement agency in the U.S., right? That's right. And okay. uniquely, um, we serve vulnerable populations across the arc of crisis. So we are an international humanitarian organization. We work in 40 countries overseas, directly in the midst of conflict in places like Yemen and Syria, mm-hmm. also in those countries of first refuge, and we resettle refugees in 25 cities across the United States. 
So this, I mean, to me, gives you a broad perspective on which to, um, you know, articulate what a more forward-looking agenda for refugee issues might look like, both here in the United States and as the United States um, supports refugee issues a- around the world. So mm-hmm. I have to imagine now, as a advocacy and policy officer with this organization, you have kind of like a wish list, I would imagine, of the incoming administration. Yeah. Um, would you maybe kind of just go through what are some of your top priorities for the incoming Coming administration, both in terms of, say, domestic policy, but also uh, internationally? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. And um, we are you know, so uh, excited to work with an incoming Biden-Harris administration uh, that has already articulated you know, very robust commitments uh, to refugees and asylum seekers. And so, you know, you may have seen that um, President-elect Biden, you know, announced a commitment on World Refugee Day uh, to restore the refugee admissions level to 125,000 refugees uh, annually in the first year of his administration um, and increasing it every year afterward. You know, that anchors what we would identify as um, one of the most critical priorities for an incoming Biden-Harris administration to restore U.S. humanitarian leadership at home um, by rebuilding, reimagining, reinvigorating the refugee admissions program by reversing harmful Trump administration asylum policies and indeed building back better an asylum system that had tremendous weaknesses that preceded the Trump administration. Um, but then leveraging that, you know, uh, that humanitarian leadership at home um, to rebuild global resettlement commitments. What we've seen during the Trump administration has been, um, you know, the ability of the U.S. to lead a race to the bottom. So globally, um, refugee resettlement slots have dropped by over 50%. There were 37 countries uh, that were committed to refugee resettlement at the end of the Obama administration. Today, we have just 25 countries that are resettling refugees. Um, so reinvigorating global commitments to resettlement, um, we would put alongside um rebuilding our commitment at home. So the idea is uh, that should the Biden administration once again significantly raise the refugee cap, the number of refugees the U.S. will admit in any given fiscal year, um, simultaneous to that, the Biden administration, in your view, should work with other countries to increase their caps and expand the number of countries that are willing to accept refugees to be resettled. I mean, is there existing multilateral platform on which to to do this? Does this mean working more closely, say, with the UN Refugee Agency? Um, what what opportunities uh, exist for for that um, for that to take place? Yeah, you're exactly right, Mark. And there are those platforms, so. As you know, under the Trump administration, the U.S. is not a signatory to the Global Refugee Compact. Um, so we, um, you know, we see a great opportunity for the incoming Biden-Harris administration 
um, to join that compact and to join the global compact on migration. Um, and to once again engage in those multilateral fora productively and to leverage their own commitments to encourage other countries to do more. And can I just also have you explain briefly what is the Global Compact on Refugees and the Global Compact on Migration for those who are unfamiliar? Sure. The Global Compact on Refugees really seeks to um, reinvigorate global commitments to refugee response along several dimensions. Um, one, ensuring that um, wealthy nations provide support and assistance and aid to low and middle income countries who support the vast majority of refugees. So increasing their financial commitments, um, ensuring that wealthy nations do their part in sharing in global responsibility for refugees by increasing their resettlement commitments. Um, third, working with host nations and supporting them to extend rights and access um, for refugees to be able to rebuild their lives in their um, in their um, communities of first refuge. So, as noted, you know almost ninety percent of refugees are hosted in low and middle income countries. You know, last year and really over the last decade. On average, only about 3% of them have been able to return home. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, for the vast majority of refugees, having the opportunity to rebuild their lives, um, you know, in their new host communities um, is, um, is the future of refugee response. That host countries who are um, so generously supporting refugees um, need the financial support um, of the international community to be able to extend social services, rights to work, um, you know, opportunities for regular access to education and health to those refugee populations. And last, the Global Compact on Refugees, you know, really called on the international community um, to reinvigorate um, uh, their attention to root causes. You know, IRC um, will this week release its 2020 watch list. And what our watch list really reveals is that there are 20 countries in the world accounting for just 10% of the global population, but representing 85% of um, uh, the world's population in need of humanitarian assistance, representing almost 90% of those who are internally displaced and representing 84% of the world's refugees. So reinvigorating global attention to resolving these longstanding prolonged conflicts now being exacerbated by climate change and by COVID um, is, a, um, is a place where we hope to see um, U.S. leadership and diplomacy and the range of tools and assets um, that the U.S. can bring, bring to the table uh, deployed in service of that conflict resolution. And and so can you also briefly discuss and explain what the Global Compact on Migration is? Yes. Because so, that's sort of the other half of the uh, the refugee uh, compact is the mm -hmm. Compact on Migration. Mm -hmm. um, and here, this is a real breakthrough compact, a first of its kind um, international agreement on um, safe and orderly migration and the protection of vulnerable populations and migrants. 
it recognizes that globally there are, you know, over 240 million people on the move. And um, we, you know, grounded in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, we need an international system that helps create the protocols and guidelines that ensures that migrants are, um, are protected in route, that they have opportunities to migrate in, um, in safe and orderly fashion, um, and that um, they're not subject to um, violations of their, uh, of their human rights um, you know, on their journeys. Um, in, uh, you know, in countries where they're often detained and en route to final destinations. Mm-hmm. And so on your wish list, therefore, is the Biden administration to sign and enter the U.S. into both the refugee and the migrant compact. Um, what else are you looking towards in, in the uh, coming administration in terms of resetting U.S. policies on refugee issues around the world? So two additional things um, added to the list of what we've covered. One, um, you know, strong diplomacy uh, and international cooperation in pursuit of refugee rights and access to work and education in countries of first refuge. You know, if you think about the model of the Leader Summit that the Obama administration led in 2016, now, that was really about wealthy nations doing their part to increase aid, increase resettlement, and to work with host countries um, to leverage those commitments for increased opportunities for refugee self-reliance in countries of host refuge. And it was a really successful model, you know, anchored by U.S. commitments. We saw a 30% increase in uh, humanitarian aid. We saw a commitment to double in the first year and triple in the second year global resettlement slots. And um, a host of low and middle income countries hosting the vast majority of refugees made commitment to allow one million refugees access to work and a million refugee children access to school. And so, you know, again, in a context where few refugees are able to return home and only a small proportion of the most vulnerable have access to resettlement, um, seeing strengthened diplomacy on behalf of those additional humanitarian outcomes um, that allow refugees to rebuild their lives um, is another priority uh, for an incoming Biden-Harris administration. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is, just, just to, to be clear, that you know, when refugees cross a border, flee to a safer country, they're often not permitted legal access or work permits. Um, and so the idea here was that the Obama administration in that summit, uh, you know, helped and, and, and encouraged some of those, uh, countries to expand access to formal work permits and, and other and education opportunities for, for refugees. That's right. They're often, they're most often, um, you know, very few countries allow refugees unfettered right to work. Few countries allow refugees freedom of movement to be able to go where there are work opportunities. You know, few countries, you know, less than 50% um, offer refugee children opportunities um, for regular education. Um, and when you have prolonged 
um, refugee crises. You know, um, refugee crises now on average last 10 years um, or more. Um, you're talking about multiple generations denied the opportunity for education or work. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and, and finally, uh, I think there was one more kind of mm-hmm. one yeah. one more item on your on your punch list. One one more item. It's a um, it's an ambitious agenda, you know. But um, you know, at the International Rescue Committee, um, we've been leaders in the humanitarian sector in calling for real reform of the way in which we support vulnerable populations and real reform of the humanitarian sector, where we um, have, you know, outmoded tools, outmoded financing structures um, that have not kept up with trends in protracted displacement um, and, you know, have not um, kept up with trends and recognizing that we need to move from a model of emergency response to refugees to a model um, that incorporates development opportunities for refugees to be integrated um, into their host communities. So we'd love to see the incoming Biden-Harris administration re-engaging productively um, with a multilateral system you know, that has done a tremendous job of responding to ever-increasing populations in need of assistance at a time when, you know, the world has been engaged in a global retreat from their humanitarian obligations. And so, you know, as we call on an incoming Biden-Harris administration to, you know, lead a global race to the top in meeting humanitarian obligations, there's also a need to help support and reform you know, the international organizations and the multilateral system um, to be able to um, be more resilient and more responsive to these long-term trends. Uh, and, and finally, I mean, are you confident uh, or how confident are you that the Biden administration will actually do those things that, that you just suggested, will say, sign the refugee and migration compacts and engage uh, on the kind of reform agenda that you just articulated? Uh, I have a great degree of confidence in the incoming Biden-Harris administration um, to take on these global challenges. Um, I say that because uh, there's both a moral obligation uh, to do so, you know, a call from the American public to do so, but also a strategic imperative. You know, humanitarian crises left unattended um, have a terrible history of fomenting ongoing regional instability and further crises. And that's really um, the story that's told, you know, by the statistics I shared from our 2021 watch list analysis, you know, without um, sort of appropriately addressing humanitarian need and the needs of vulnerable populations without rolling up your sleeves and um, and really seeking to um, stem, you know, these ever-proliferating conflicts that are driving record numbers of global displacement. What we see um, is increasing currents of instability and conflict. You know, when... Um, 
you know, people turn away from their humanitarian obligations. Again, that has humanitarian impact, but also strategic impact. You know, and the last, um, you know, the largest, you know, of the 15 largest returns of refugees that have happened since the 1990s, a third of them have resulted in the resumption of conflict. You know, the turning back of asylum seekers at the U.S. southern border has created an emergency and a humanitarian crisis um, that, you know, that is creating um, a crisis on the U.S. southern border and exacerbating um, crises for our, you know, our, our ally in Mexico. Um, so there's both a moral imperative and a strategic imperative uh, to be responsive to humanitarian needs. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Mark. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Nazanin Ash. That was very helpful. And thank you also to the Better World Campaign for this partnership. And again, please do visit getusback.org to learn more about the opportunities for multilateral engagement for the new Biden-Harris administration and the incoming 117th Congress. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.